Well, good morning, everyone. And can I just say as well that it's absolutely lovely to see you all here this morning. It's just great, isn't it, to be gathered together in the house of God. <laughs> if you don't know who I am, just to may introduce myself. Uh, my name is Christine Tremaine, and uh, I'm part of the CBC family here. And I'm privileged to be able to share from God's word with you this morning. Well, I am hoping that you might be feeling even a little bit energetic this morning because for the past few Sundays, we have been on a journey. Our journey began with some fishermen who became followers. Then we went to this fantastic picnic with lots of provision. Then last week, we were in some rough water, but Jesus came alongside. And this morning, we are climbing a very high mountain. And what do you get when you get to the top of a high mountain but a spectacular view? Your vision is suddenly enlarged, isn't it? You see much wider, further, far beyond what you've been able to see before. And it changes your perspective. And the experience, it can be quite breathtaking. And it can remain with you because you realize that actually you're something far bigger and greater in the whole span of life than just yourself. You're part of a creation and a creator God who is just vast and who is absolutely spectacularly awesome. Well, in the Bible, mountains are the scene of some very memorable and significant events that have actually changed the course of history and the lives of human beings. And so we are going to take a look at one such mountainous event when Jesus took three of his disciples up what is thought to be possibly Mount Hermon because it was in the region of Caesarea Philippi where Jesus and the disciples happened to be. And so do join me, if you wish, as I read from Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 to 13. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell down on their face to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes 
and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Well, what happened on this mountain had great significance for Jesus himself, significance for the disciples who were with him, and it has great significance for you and for me, for our lives. And that's the journey and the direction we're taking this morning. Six days before venturing up this mountain, Jesus had spent time explaining to his disciples about his forthcoming journey to Jerusalem and talking to them about his death and his resurrection. Did they get it? Could they handle it? Well, I think Peter's reaction says it all. Never, Lord. This will never happen to you. Even though Peter had very recently acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of the living God. But his death? No, this just wasn't what Peter wanted to hear, and it wasn't what he expected. So this is what Jesus was facing in relation to his disciples, just not quite being on board with what he was trying to prepare them for. And so he brings with him Peter, James, and John, and he leads them up this high mountain. I wonder what was going on in the mind of Jesus the man as he climbed higher. Was he now thinking about how he was fast approaching the final part of his journey here on earth and facing the prospect of his death? I wonder, was he thinking about the prophet who said that he had to be a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief? What's the expression we use? Death was staring him in the face. And he did know that it would involve suffering. Would he have to go through with this? And yet, his heavenly father and all humanity depended upon him alone to deal with this horrendous problem of sin. A lot to think about for him and to process. And he was human, after all. And we know that Jesus did struggle with the thought of his death and all that it would involve. And yet there was no other way to bring people back into a relationship with the Heavenly Father again. And we are told then that as Jesus stood on this mountain with his disciples, the unexpected happened. Jesus was transfigured. The word for transfiguration in Greek, which I won't try and pronounce, but the word is very close to our word, metamorphosis, meaning to transform or to change into another form. And what I find really interesting is that it also means to change the outside so that it matches what is inside. And we are told that the outward form of Jesus changed. Verse 2, his face shone like the sun, powerful, and his clothes became as white as the light. 
And there is a sense here of sheer, pure radiance just oozing from within Jesus and through Jesus, a radiance displaying inner and outer holiness, the splendor and the glory of heaven. The inside and the outside form were one and the same, dazzlingly powerful and spectacularly awesome. Jesus is experiencing his divine heavenly glory being revealed in all its fullness. One writer put it this way, the glory of God is the manifest beauty of his holiness. It is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. Wow. And in Hebrews 1, 3, we read this, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact representation of his nature. And that is what has been revealed on this mountain in all its splendor. What a powerful affirmation of his identity, of who Jesus is, both for Jesus himself and for these disciples who were witnessing this. A supernatural transformation, giving a glimpse beyond the earthly horizon, a glimpse of the heavenly resurrected body and of the heavenly kingdom that was to come. Yes, there is more to life than this present world. For Jesus, it was a recognition of who he was, where he had come from, where he belonged to, and where he would return to the right hand of the Father. How significant for Jesus, the man who was fully God. And then we are told more of the unexpected happened. Verse 3. Just then, Moses and Elijah appeared before them. Yes, we are talking about two men who had departed from this earthly life hundreds and hundreds of years before. And Luke in his gospel records that they appeared in glorious or heavenly splendor. So they had a heavenly form. And they started talking with Jesus. Why Moses and Elijah? What is the significance of their presence here? I don't know about you, but I have always pictured them standing one on either side of Jesus and Jesus is in the center. Because Moses and Elijah represent two of God's pillars from the past, two Old Testament pillars, Moses who represents the law and Elijah who represents the prophets. And their presence with Jesus would certainly serve to support him, affirm, encourage, and strengthen him at this important moment in time for him. Together with his transformation, his transfiguration rather, this would enable him and prepare him for the journey ahead that would be a difficult one. So we have Moses, and you will remember he encountered the presence and the glory of God on Mount Sinai, when he received the Ten Commandments, the law. Moses, the one chosen to lead the Exodus from oppression in Egypt into freedom, when God delivered them from, from that slavery and oppression. And then Moses, who led the journey to the Promised Land. And then we have Elijah. And remember, he encountered the presence and the glory of God on Mount Carmel, when God demonstrated that he is the one only true God to be worshipped alone. 
And the message was always consistently clear, and it was one that was echoed by the prophets right throughout Israel's history, right through to John the Baptist, right through to the very mouth of Jesus himself. Repent and believe. Turn away from your sin and turn your life to the one and only true living God. Love him, serve him, worship him alone. And so we have Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, and the significance here of the past pathways coming together and converging with the present in the person of Jesus. I think there's a wonderful connecting and uniting with these three people and pointing now to the fulfillment that is found in Jesus of all that God has promised. And I think this momentous event highlights also the consistency and the continuity of a loving, purposeful God. If you like, on top of this mountain, we are given a heavenly perspective that comes into view and into focus. The final piece of the jigsaw, Jesus is the one who will supersede Moses and the law. Jesus will be the one who will supersede Elijah and the prophets. Jesus will bring the whole picture to completion. God's plan of salvation and God's passion to save humanity in a way that no one else can. So what did they talk about? What was the conversation that Moses and Elijah had with Jesus? Well, in Luke 9, 31, we read, they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. In other words, they spoke to him about the importance of his death and what it would accomplish. So as well as their presence there supporting Jesus, wouldn't their words also do the same? Did they affirm and encourage him to keep going on this difficult journey that lay ahead? I'm going to use my imagination here, so I hope you don't mind. But would Moses have said something like this? Keep your focus, Jesus. Keep your eyes on your heavenly father, on your purpose and on your goal. My focus was distracted by my pride, my fear, my disobedience. But you, Jesus, are the great I am. Your obedience to God the Father will rescue and save humanity. You are the Lamb of God, the all-sufficient sacrifice for sin. You, Jesus, will endure the cross for the joy of knowing that your death and your resurrection will open the doorway to a new promised land and an eternal kingdom. You are the great high priest, the king of kings, the fulfillment of all that has gone before. And you, Jesus, will bring a new covenant written on human hearts, and you will make all things brand new. And what about Elijah? What might he have said? Oh, well, after Mount Carmel, I nearly lost my focus and my direction to fear and to deep, deep discouragement. I was at such a low ebb. I nearly gave it all up. I nearly threw in the towel until I heard the still, small voice of God encouraging me, spurring me on my journey and lifting up my spirit. But you, Jesus... 
you are greater than I. You will receive courage. You will be strengthened. As Isaiah prophesied, you will set your face like flint towards your purpose and your goal. And you will fulfill all that the prophets promised from God. You are the one we've all been waiting for. The promised saviour of the world. Moses and Elijah, these two Old Testament pillars whose lives had been part of a much greater picture in God's plan and purpose. And the presence, their presence with Jesus was a sign that everything according to God's amazing plan was now coming to fruition. How significant for Jesus. And what an absolutely breathtaking view is being revealed on this mountain. A view of an awesome God encompassing the past, the present, the future. It is a breathtaking view of God's expanding vision and his passion for humanity's salvation. And it is a God who can be trusted to keep his word and to accomplish what he promises. And for Jesus, he is at the center of it all. The son and the gift from the father. So what's the significance for the disciples? Well, they were being just caught up in the magnificence of being in the presence of Jesus' divine radiance and glory being revealed. I reckon their jaws dropped open very wide. Mine would have. One of the gospel writers indicate that Peter just couldn't think what to say. For once, he was lost for words. And then he made this suggestion to build shelters, one each for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And it could have been he was thinking, this is a great experience, I'm going to prolong it. Who wouldn't blame him for that? It was literally an out-of-the-world encounter and experience. But some commentators think that Peter may also have been thinking about the festival of shelters when the Israelites would build tents in celebration of how God provided them with his presence and his provision during the wilderness journey. And they would build these tents and live in them to remember that and bring their harvest gifts as thanksgiving to God. Well, whatever Peter's thinking or reasoning was, events take over. Verse 5, while Peter was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And they were all enclosed in the cloud of God's presence in the same way that Moses had himself experienced in his lifetime. And I think this is a beautiful and powerful image of intimacy being enfolded and embraced in the light of the presence of God. And they hear, they hear the voice of God. This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Such affirming words for Jesus himself, which he heard right at the beginning of his ministry at his baptism, and now once again the Father is honouring him as he reaches the pinnacle of his ministry. But for these disciples, where were they? Flat on their face on the ground. Who wouldn't be? And they were terrified. But such reassuring words and touch from Jesus to get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus only. How significant. Their focus was on him. And their whole experience and encounter, all about Jesus, the sun, the radiance of God's glory. 
Would they forget this in a hurry? No. All that happened on this mountain would be indelibly imprinted on their hearts and lives, and the impact would go with them into their future ministry. Going down the mountain, Jesus instructed them not to say anything about what had happened until after the resurrection, because he knew that they and others would only understand and get the full big picture of the wonderful gift of his salvation. And if you press the fast forward button and go and have a look at 2 Peter chapter 1, 16 to 19, you can read that for yourselves and take it's there for us to take on board Peter's testimony, referring directly to the experience and encounter of the transfiguration. We're not making up the story, says Peter. This is for real. Jesus is reality. We were eyewitnesses of his glory. He received honor and glory from the Father. We saw and heard his voice. Well, they didn't see, but they heard his voice. They saw his glory. And they said it was on this sacred mountain. Isn't that interesting? And then John's testimony. He alludes to the transfiguration. John chapter 1, have a read of that. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen or we beheld, we looked upon, we were absorbed, we were captivated by his glory, the glory of the only begotten son of the father, full of grace and truth. And then in verse 17, John shares his understanding now of the big picture with us. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Peter and John, they just share with such passionate conviction the significance for them. It's all about Jesus. And last but not least, what's the significance for your life and mine, for our lives? Well, I think on this mountain, we are given such a wonderful view of who God is. And I would sum it up in three words. Our God is powerful, our God is purposeful, and our God is personal. We are being given a powerful view of divine revelation and a clarity of who Jesus is. The radiance of God's glory and the doorway of our salvation. How important it is for us in a world that can have quite a distorted view at times of who God is and who Jesus is, that we as disciples uphold a clear understanding and a clear view, a highly esteemed view of who he is and be willing to share that with others as opportunities arise. Our God is powerful. Our God is purposeful. All that took place on this mountain speaks volumes of how he planned for your salvation and for mine. His heart of love determined and shaped these plans that span right throughout Old Testament history to Jesus, our Savior. And by his grace, by his loving grace, we are invited and incorporated to come and to be part of his big picture and his purposes within the kingdom of God. How significant and awesome is that? Powerful, purposeful, and so very personal. 
And I think for us, there is something really significant about how Jesus personally and intentionally led his disciples to a place away from it all, to be with him. Being in his presence led to a deeper understanding, a deeper awareness, a greater revelation of God himself. It was a sacred, holy encounter. And it impacted and changed their lives, their discipleship, and their whole ministry. How significant for us. I wonder, do we have a mountain equivalent? That place or that space when we intentionally come to be with and focus upon Jesus, to listen to him and respond to him. And I'm asking these questions to myself. Are we intentionally pursuing our journey with him? Are we being open and eager to discover more, to spiritually see, to spiritually hear from him? I wonder, are we engaging and participating in this intentional journey that Jesus has for us to be transformed? Because that is what is to be happening on our journey. 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us this, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And that word transformed is exactly the same word in the Greek as is mentioned in the transfiguration of Jesus when he revealed his radiant holiness. This is the journey for us that we are called to participate in and to experience his transforming grace in our lives. Being changed to be like Jesus so that our inner life and our outer life come to that point of being the same match. And one day we will stand complete in him, clothed in heavenly splendor. What a spectacular view we will all have then in his presence. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we come before you and we just say you are an amazing, awesome God. All-powerful, all-purposeful, all-personal. And as you look upon each one of us this morning, you see exactly where we're at. You see our hearts. And you have a heart for each one of us. So come by your Holy Spirit. Embrace and enfold us with your presence, Lord. Touch into our lives with more of you. Reveal to us who you are in all your splendor. Let the light of your presence open our eyes and our hearts to more of you so that we can journey and be transformed to be more like Jesus. So come. Let your presence rest upon us. Fill us with all of you so that we can give the glory back. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.